Yeah, it's great to be here with you for the sake of older people like me who like a bit of nostalgia. It's also nice to see some people who are here right at the beginning, uh, just one or two. So great to see you um, because as uh, has just been said, I was involved in getting this church started uh, many years ago when uh, God prompted me to start planting a whole region of churches across the Midlands area. Um, since then, I've been more, pro- more involved in getting churches going in different parts of the world. And so uh, I've been working in the Russian-speaking world, where we now have in our family around 150 churches, which, um, many of which have been started fairly recently, and also work in the Muslim-majority world, um, and we've seen churches planted there as well. So that's what I've been involved with. But just at the beginning of this year, got back involved in the UK again, having not been involved in the UK for 12 years, and uh, um, uh, in order to gather up a group of churches to get them involved in our mission, which is what we're calling Catalyst. Okay, so that's, if you don't mind me, just adding a little bit to your introduction, just to sort of get going and so on. And uh, what I want to do is... Firstly, share a story from what God is doing in in another part of the world. It's always good to connect with that. Then I'm going to uh, teach from the book of Genesis and see how we go from there. Okay, so recently we, uh, well, about uh, just over a year ago, we started a second church that's a part of our family in Istanbul. Now, Istanbul is a massive city, about 15 million people. It's, it's 50 miles from one end to the other. So, massive place. And uh, we just started a second church there because there's very few people. In fact, in the whole of Turkey... There's only about 4,000 people out of 73 million, that's 15 million people. It's, it's 50 miles from one end to the other. So, massive place. And uh, we just started a second church there because there's very few people. In fact, in the whole of Turkey... There's only about 4,000 people out of 73 million that, go, that are involved actively in church. So it's a massive challenge, therefore, to start churches there in Turkey. But we started our second one in Istanbul. But actually, in that church, um, they've only had, since they started, only had one Sunday where they haven't had first-time visitors. Virtually everybody who's been to that church has never been in a church in their lives before. And uh, when we were just launching the church, we were praying for someone of real influence to be saved towards the beginning. And God answered our prayer, and the first person saved in that church was a tattoo artist. Okay? (laughs) And... I hadn't quite realised how influential tattoo artists are, but a lot of the people 
that have come to that church have either come as a result of his witness or have come through the church's Facebook page. So those are the two. Okay, so if you really want to start a church, there's a fresh strategy for you. Uh, (laughs) Pray for a tattoo artist to be saved and have a good Facebook page. Okay, (laughs) if you draw from that particular experience. Okay, so uh, say that he was the first person to be saved and a couple of weeks after he'd been saved and come to know Christ, he brought his girlfriend to church as well. So she came along. She didn't like it. (coughs) She uh, thought it was disrespectful to God for people to clap and sing in the worship like that coming from a Muslim background. And so uh, she went to a party that evening and was mocking what she had seen in the morning. Well, the Lord Jesus is much more keen on reaching unreached people groups than we are. So that night... He appeared to her in her sleep. And remember, she'd never been to church before that one morning. She knew nothing about the cross, nothing about the Christian gospel. And Jesus said to her, why are you mocking my church? He said, you're an intelligent woman. Test it out before you mock. So... That seemed good advice. But then he stretched out his hands and showed her the nail prints and said, what I did for this world really hurt. Then he put his hands towards her and touched her hands where the nail marks were in his. And when she woke up in the morning, she had marks on her hands at that particular point. Now, those of you who have experienced theologians, you know, in church history, that was called stigmata, which had another meaning, and Protestants like us have not really been into that very strongly. But no worry, <laughs> okay? <laughs> she, had, she, had, she had these marks on her hand, and she went that evening to an Alpha course, and told everyone what happened and showed them the marks that were still there. Well, she didn't come to faith straight away. After all, Jesus had said, test it out for a while first. And so she was testing it out and during, that, during the course of that, about once a week on average, <coughs> Jesus appeared in her dreams again and taught her a bit more. And now she's been baptised and she's part of the church there. And I could tell you from that part of the world, that's a quite a dramatic one, but I could tell you story after story of how Jesus appearing to people in visions, people being healed while they're asleep, who'd never known about Jesus before. I could tell you story after story because this is what God is doing across the world that we're part of. So I just thought I'd tell you that story first to uh, encourage us a bit. 
and show how these things are still what God is doing. Now, we're going to go in a minute to the book of Genesis. I'm doing a biblical worldview on race and language. What does God have to say about that? Those are issues that uh, affect all of, all of our society. But I want to give a little bit of an introduction. Then I'm going to read a scripture which seems a strange scripture to read. Um, but it's part of the Bible, so it's good to read it. And uh, firstly, I want to introduce you to what we call worldview. Now, that's a strange term, perhaps. But it's how you look at the world. Everybody is brought up in a culture and that culture has at its deepest level, the deepest level of culture has what we call worldview, how you look at the world. Now, so for example, so I'm going to turn this around. Okay. So for example, for example, worldview answers the following questions. It answers the questions, who are we? Where are we? What's gone wrong? Because most people admit that something has gone wrong. And what's the solution? Okay, so if you come from a, a Western secular worldview, people would say, well... Who are we? With a result of chance events, chance random events over many, over many millennia, which eventually produced us by evolution. Okay, that's who we are. Where are we? Well, we're in a world that still, that itself, came about by chance. We don't know whether there's any other people like us anywhere else in the universe, but we are part of that random event, and here we are. What's gone wrong? Well, because of, wrong, because of psychological problems and bad choices, together they combine to make things as they are. Okay? And what's the solution? Well, all sorts of things are put forward. Yeah. In our world today, psychology, well, if it could really help people, or capitalism, if everybody was free to just do it, or socialism, or all sorts of things. Those are the solutions. And every culture has that approach to life. Okay. And it's the deepest level of our thinking. Okay. So, the book of Genesis was a series of stories, true stories, but stories in order to establish for people a right view of the world, a right world view. Because when Moses, because he wrote the book of Genesis, um, obviously the stories were much older than Moses because he lived many years later, but he put it together, the stories that were believed by the people of God in order to help them have a right view of life. He needed to do that because the people of Israel, when Moses wrote to them, had lived in e Egypt for 400 years. 
So if you've lived in a place for 400 years, you'll be, have the world view of that place. So they had an Egyptian worldview. So when they came out of Egypt and Moses disappeared for a while, they said, let's make a god that looks like an animal. Why? Because, as you know from your history books, the Egyptians in those days had gods that looked like animals. Therefore, they made a god that looked like an animal because they had an Egyptian worldview. So Moses wrote the book of Genesis to help them have a right outlook on life. That's worldview. You all clear on that so far? You know? you aren't just interrupt me and say I don't know what you're talking about that's absolutely fine okay and I'll try again okay well not, no one has the courage to say that so <laughs> the book of Genesis deals with these worldviews now I'm going to I'm going to look now and it has world, it has worldview stories about all sorts of things worldview stories for marriage worldview stories for creation courage to say that so <laughs> The book of Genesis deals with these worldviews. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look now, and it has, it has worldview stories about all sorts of things. Worldview stories for marriage, worldview stories for creation, worldview stories about what went wrong, sin and judgment and so on. All that you get in the book of Genesis. But I want to talk about the worldview on race and language, because you live in a wonderful multi-ethnic city, don't you? Oh, come on. Doesn't anyone think they live in a wonderful place? Of course it's a wonderful place. I was brought up here, all right? <laughs> yeah, I'm a brummy. <laughs> and so, I don't often come back to this wonderful multi-ethnic place, but I live in another wonderful multi-ethnic place now. And so, when we live there, we need to say, what is the biblical view of all the different sort of people that are around us and a part of us? Okay? Because again, people have different worldviews about that, don't they? So here we go. So I'm going to read a very interesting scripture to you. You listen very carefully. This is the account of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's sons, who themselves had sons after the flood. This is from Genesis chapter 10. The sons of Japheth were Gomer, Magog, Maday, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, and Tiras. That's good for you, isn't it? Sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Riphath, Torgomar, the sons of Javan, Elisha, Tarshish, the Kittim and the Rodanim. From these, the maritime people spread out their, into their territories by their clans within their nations, each with its own language. The sons of Ham, Cush, Mizraim, Put and Canaan, the sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah. Have you ever had teaching on all the names of the, and the genealogies in the book of Genesis before? Well, here you are then. Okay. Sheba, Havilah, Sabta, Rama, Sabtaka, the sons of Rama, Sheba, and Dedan. 
Here are the sons of Ham by their clans and languages in their territories and nations. Sons were also born to Shem, we're now down to verse 20, whose older brother was Japheth. Shem was the ancestor of all the sons of Eber, the sons of Shem, Elam, Asher, Arphaxad, Lud and Aram, the sons of Aram. Uz, Hul, Gether, and Meshech. Alphaxad was the father of Shelah, and Shelah the father of Eber. Two sons were being born to Eber. One was named Peleg, because in his time the earth was divided. His brother was named Joktan. These are the sons of Shem by their clans and languages in their territories and nations. These are the clans of Noah's sons, according to their lines of descent within their nations. From these, the nations spread out over the earth after the flood. All right? What's that? What have I been reading about that for? Because Genesis chapter 10 describes how all the nations spread out across the world after the flood. In the flood, Noah and his three sons, remember their names? Shem, Ham and Japheth, we've just read about them. They had lots of children. They eventually formed nations. This sort of happened over a long period. And then they spread out across the earth. Now, the writing is in a particular style. And if you, I didn't read the whole of chapter 10 because you'd have got fed up with all the names and it would have taken a long time. But if you sat and counted them, I don't know if anyone ever has done that. If you sat and counted them, you would find there were 70 because 70 was the symbolic number to the Jews of all the peoples of the earth. Now we know there's many more, there's thousands of people groups. But 70 was the symbolic number and so that's how they used to talk about it and it was an important one symbolically. And Genesis chapter 10 is the is a positive view of the blessing of God on people spreading across the earth. However, Genesis chapter 10 also um, has some things in it which Genesis chapter 11 actually tells you how it happened. Because if you notice, each spread with their own language, it says. But in Genesis chapter 11, you get another worldview story about how the languages came about. And this is what happened. And I'm just going to tell you that story. I'm not going to read it. Because in the book of Genesis, you often get certain truths stated and then the next chapter gives you more detail about how it came about. And so, this is the story. The whole earth had one language. And they could all talk to each other. And God had said to them all, I want you to spread right across the earth. That was always God's plan. He said it to Adam and Eve in the garden, spread across the earth. And he said it to Noah as he came out of the flood, after the flood spread across the earth. But they got to a place 
which was a nice plain. And they said, we don't want to spread across the earth. We want to stay here. Let's build a city and just stay here. Let's make this fantastic city. And they learned how to make bricks, it says. <coughs> and let's make in this city a tower that reaches to heaven. A really big tower to reach to heaven. What they were saying was, let's be in charge of our own destiny and not do what God has said, which was spread out across the earth. So, they built this tower. Now, this story, the way it's told in Genesis chapter 11, is full of irony because God says, what are they doing down there? Now, it's not that God doesn't know. But God said, they said, we've got to knee. And that tower was symbolic of their power. It still is in cities today. Any big city will build its tower. They recently, in Dubai, which is one of the biggest growing cities of the world, they recently built a tower, and they didn't tell anybody in advance how high it was going to be in case some other city built one higher. Because building towers somehow seems to be what can give pride to the city. And so God said, if they can do this, build a city, not go across, because building towers somehow seems to be what can give pride to the city. And so God said, if they can do this, build a city, not go across the world like I've told them, then if they can communicate with each other easily, there's no end to the evil that they will be able to do. So God somehow came down, confused the languages so that they couldn't speak to each other anymore. And so they communicate otherwise. Sorry, not they could only communicate with those they scattered with. So the nations have they had their own language. We don't know how that happened, but suddenly they couldn't speak to each other. And if you're in the midst of people you can't understand, you can't really work with them. You know, most of the time I'm travelling. Now I've learned to, you know, I've learned a bit of Russian. I can get by in Russian. I knew French, but most of the countries I go to, I can't speak the language. And you feel all alone. You can't combine with them. You can't do things. You can't do things together without an interpreter. And so how is this a worldview story? Well, there were other stories around at that time. You remember, at the time Moses was writing, there were lots of different worldviews. And different cultures all had their own stories about how languages came about. So... The one story from Mesopotamia, that area, was that they believed there were many gods and the many gods decided to have some fun and make mischief and make the people not be able to talk to each other. They also said that there was a tower built in this place called Babylon. They called it Babylon. The Bible calls it Babel at this point. 
they built a special tower to reach to heaven to allow the gods to come from the upper spirit world to the lower spirit world. And this Tower of Babel story is like a spoof on the worldview stories of the pagan Babylonians. They said it's just a human building. It's just made of brick, not fine stones. So far short of heaven that God could hardly see it. And also the word Babylon, they understood as meaning the gate of the God, whereas Babel, which is a similar word, means confusion. So God is saying... What man tried to do to show that he was in charge of his own destiny, God just calls confusion, whatever they may call it. Okay. So, that's a story from the book of Genesis. How does that apply now today for language and race? Well, It was always God's plan to spread the nations across the earth. God did this so that his glory might fill the earth. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So God's plan always was that his glory would fill the earth and he would do that by spreading the nations across the earth. The other thing this teaches us is that the nations are intended to be brothers. They're all descended from three brothers, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Can you come and help me, my brother? Okay. All right. Okay, what's your name? Isaac. Isaac, okay. Well, Isaac and I are brothers. (laughs) Not only because we're in Christ, but actually because... We're all descended from Shem, Ham and Japheth. Do you know which one you're descended from? I'm not quite sure. No, I'm not quite sure either. (laughs) I haven't taken my family tree that that far. But even by birth, the nations are intended to be brothers. All right? Yep. So we've got the same great, 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 I don't know how far, grandfather, okay? We're brothers. Paul, when he's teaching about going to reach other cultures, says this, from one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. God created different nations so that they would find him. Babel represents man's attempt for national destiny apart from God. Because all the nations are trying to make an identity for themselves without God. And... It represents all the nations throughout history that seek to dominate the world in pride. So Babylon represents that. And all through history, there's been nations that don't think of themselves as brothers, but try and dominate other nations. That's Babel. That's Babylon. We don't want to do it God's way. We want to do it our way and dominate the world. 
difference of language and culture, therefore, is to be honoured because it was part of God's plan. Sorry, I realise my time's running, isn't it? I'm all right still, just a couple more minutes. Difference of language and culture is to be honoured because it was God's plan. Praise God. That was his way of showing that we shouldn't combine together for evil. But also, God has a plan of a new world, redemption and restoration. So Genesis chapter 12 says this. God promised Abraham, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. God, in Genesis chapter 12, says, even though there's confusion, I'm now going to put everything right. And God, God, that was his way of showing that we shouldn't combine together for evil. But also, God has a plan of a new world, redemption and restoration. So Genesis chapter 12 says this. God promised Abraham, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. God, in Genesis chapter 12, says, even though there's confusion, I'm now going to put everything right. And God did. God promised Abraham, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. God, in Genesis chapter 12, says, even though there's confusion, I'm now going to put everything right. And God did that, because it was fulfilled in Jesus. When different nations tried to come and see Jesus, Jesus said this, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. He said this, that show the kind of death he was going to die. In his hands, he was saying, I want every nation to come to this. And then he gave a sign of that on the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down on his church, they ran into the streets, and they all started speaking in different languages. And those languages were the same area that took place in Genesis chapter 10 and 11. The same, the same geographic area, the same nations. Now, these 70 nations would all be able to know the gift of tongues, as we sometimes call it, in order to demonstrate that every language will praise God. And I love that. See, when I speak in another language, because I have the gift to be able to do that, when I speak in tongues, I'm saying that language will praise God. It's a missionary event. Pentecost was a missionary event that every nation should praise God. So, remember those worldview questions? Who are we? that every language will praise God. And I love that. See, when I speak in another language, because I have the gift to be able to do that, when I speak in tongues, I'm saying that language will praise God.
It's a missionary event. Pentecost was a missionary event that every nation should praise God. So, remember those worldview questions? Who are we as nations? Answer? What was it? What are we? That's what went wrong. We were in pride against God and conflict with our brother. What's the solution? The cross, where Jesus died for every nation. Pentecost, where Jesus declares every language will worship him. And the Great Commission, which is that we go into the world to reach every nation. And that's the end result. After this, I looked before before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried. That's what went wrong. We were in pride against God and conflict with our brother. What's the solution? The cross, where Jesus died for every nation. Pentecost, where Jesus declares every language will worship him. And the Great Commission, which is that we go into the world to reach every nation. And that's the end result. After this, I looked before before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, we're all brothers and whatever language we speak, we worship God. Secondly, we go to every nation. And so my part of my responsibility is to get people from churches like you to go to other nations, uh, particularly where they don't know Jesus, with the gospel. And thirdly, we respect every language and culture. I respect every language. I honour every language. Encourage people to pray in their own language. And when I speak in tongues, I'm saying that language too will praise God. So we honour every culture.